Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. If you've followed this site for a while, you know that I subscribe to the theory that goals are are kind of random events. They're hard. They're hard to come by. They're relatively random. Things happen. It's more about chances. Hockey's a game of chances. Create more chances than the other team, and generally speaking, you're going to win more games than your opponents do. And from that standpoint, I don't think Merrimack played that poorly last weekend, even in Friday's loss to Providence. Obviously, on Saturday night, they looked fantastic. They came back on Friday, excuse me, on Saturday, shut out a really good Providence team, 3 to nothing. Hugo Olas looked really good in net. Everything seemed to come back together on Saturday night. But even on Friday, even on Friday, five-on-five scoring chances, which is something I track separately myself during the game. It's not a, a statistic that it is carried by the NCAA, uh, but, but it's something that I track. And again, it, it's, it's somewhat subjective. Right, because everybody may, may detail a scoring chance a little bit differently, but I track scoring chances. And even though Merrimack lost eight to three on Friday night, Merrimack had more scoring chances at five on five than Providence did. So, in a game where the score was eight to three, and it's easy to look at and say, "Geez, you gave a big goal, you got blown out," and they didn't play very well defensively. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. I don't think they played that bad. At 5-on-5 with the puck, they were creating opportunities. They actually created more opportunities than Providence did. It says something when when you give up eight goals despite giving up less opportunities. At least 5-on-5. And again, four of those goals were were on the power play. Providence went four for six in the power play. So that played an obvious role. (laughs) Uh, But I didn't think they played that poorly on Friday. I thought, you know, there were some signs there that they were playing better with the puck. They needed to clean things up away from the puck. There's no question about it. They give up eight goals. That's where they really clamped down and I thought were better on Saturday night. So overall, not a bad weekend of hockey for Merrimack. They get off the schneid. They get a win back over Providence. More importantly, though, I think on Saturday, not just the win, it was the manner in which they won, the shutout, being so good defensively, not turning pucks over in bad places, really making a point to to play hard in their own end against a Providence team that usually plays hard in their own end. But I thought it was a, I thought that in and of itself was a really good answer on Saturday to come back and shut out a really good Providence team. So let's talk a little bit about the games. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the pairwise and the projected crash standings, all that stuff that we've been talking about here for the last couple of weeks. Uh, let's start first with the league because this is another – Pretty important league game this upcoming weekend for Merrimack against Northeastern. Two games set, one at Lawler on Friday, which, by the way, the game at Lawler on Friday, 
Uh, I've heard it. It hasn't been confirmed yet. I don't want to be accused of spreading rumors. Um, but there's a word going around that that game is sold out. There was a notification that went out to students earlier in the week to make sure they get their tickets ahead of time. Getting tickets at the door may not be very possible. It's been a long time since this Merrimack program has had to go through things like this where games are getting sold out in the middle of the week. Remember, back 10 years ago, it was pretty commonplace. I think I'd be, I'd be put, posting ticket updates on Wednesdays uh, about how many tickets were left. I, I've heard that this is probably a sellout, may already be a sellout. So I hope you've planned accordingly. That's how we'll say it. We, we, I hope you've planned accordingly. And the reason why it may be a sellout is it's a big game. A big game at Lawler on Friday. Northeastern coming to town. Merrimack will head down there on Saturday as well. But Northeastern right behind Merrimack in the hockey standings. 28 points. As as badly as Northeastern has played out of conference, uh, and it's why they're, they're much lower in the pairwise than many of their hockey's counterparts, they've been really good in the league. They're one game above 500 overall. They are, I think, 8-4-3 and three in league play. They have 28 points. They're two points behind Merrimack for first place in the league. And, they've, and Merrimack only has one game in hand. So it's not like, you know, there's... There's a three-game difference here. There's a, there's a one-game difference, and Merrimack has a two-point advantage on them. So Northeastern wins on Friday night. They jump the Warriors. They're in first place in Hockey East, you know, pending other results. Um, but a really good couple of weeks here for Northeastern. They obviously beat UConn at Fenway two weeks ago, and then they came back and beat UConn again last weekend. So they have two wins in a row over UConn. They, they weren't a series in the sense that it was back-to-back weekends, uh, but still two wins over UConn on back-to-back weeks. They're playing well, and they're playing really well in league, and it makes sense. Northeastern, you look at them on paper, I've been saying it for a while, how is this team only at 500? Doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of skill on that roster. It makes no sense. They might have the best goalie in the country. He was the, he was the best goalie in the country last year. He won the Mike Richter Award. I know Dryden McKay won the Hobie Baker, but I mean, come on. But Devin Levi was the best goalie in the league in the country a year ago. And I don't think much has changed there. I know the numbers are a little bit different, but you know, he didn't get worse over the summer. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, there's some factors, some team related factors that go into those numbers as well. But you look at that just Northeastern as a team, Aiden McDonough, Jaden Struble, Cam Lund, Jack Hughes. There's a lot of skill on this team. There's a lot of talent and a lot of skill on this team. And of course, again, we haven't talked about it. I haven't written about it yet this week, but I will in my in my ten things to know column. That if you're a subscriber, you'll you'll read shortly. Uh, there's also the factor of Liam Walsh coming back into town, coming back into Merrimack for the first time since he transferred to Northeastern over the summer. I'm sure, he's still friends with a lot of guys in this team. That's how it works, right? I'm sure, I'm sure they're friendly, but at the same time. Even even if there's a friendly rivalry, I'm sure there's a locker room full of guys that want to make sure they come out on top this weekend. And I'm sure he wants to come out on top this weekend. <laughs> he wants to show that the decision he made was a good decision. And a bunch of guys uh, on the Merrimack side want to show him that the decision he made maybe wasn't a very good decision. <laughs> uh, so there's that, there's that kind of storyline at play this weekend as well. Should be a really good weekend of hockey. Let's look at the projected hockey standings. Uh, Merrimack still projected to finish in first place. In the crash, they're, they're projected to finish with 52 overall points in the league. They're down a point from last week. They were projected to finish with 53 points last week, and a couple of weeks ago it was at 57. So I explained last week their losses to Brown and Yale, even though they weren't league losses, brings down the relative 
power ranking, if you will, of of their team. So they were projected for less wins down the stretch, but still projected for 52 points, which would be number one in the league right now. Uh, the Boston University is projected to finish right behind them at 50. Northeastern projected to finish in sixth with 41 points. However, this is where it, it, it's good to look at these numbers, but you kind of have to dig inside of them sometimes too. You can't just look at the at the numbers that the projection spits out and go, well, this is this is what it is. Northeastern's played very well, as I just said, in the league. So there's reason to believe that they will continue to perform well in the league. The Cratch rating, which we're using to determine wins and losses for the rest of the year, only it takes into account everything, not just league games. Right now, Northeastern projected to have 4.31 wins in Hockey East the rest of the way. They've played 14 games. So they have 10 more league games. They're projected to win about four in the third of them. I think they'll win more than that. So I think you can analyze it and look at their projection and say, I think they will outperform their projection right now. That's where I think Northeastern is at. And again, two points behind Merrimack for first place in Hockey East. Merrimack has been at the top of the league for a while because of how good they played in the first half. They could slip out of there this weekend if they don't have a good performance. So that's why this game is so big. It's huge. Uh, quickly, too, also in the pairwise, Merrimack 11 in the pairwise. Northeastern's on the outside looking in from a pairwise standpoint. Uh, they can they can play themselves into a position with some success here in the second half, but for now they're on the outside looking in. Merrimack enters the weekend number 11 in the pairwise. Uh, I did a bracket projection for subscribers earlier in the week. Uh, right now, if the season ended today, the way I think it would shake out is I have the Warriors in Allentown, Pennsylvania, playing Ohio State as the 11 seed, playing Ohio State as the 6 seed in Allentown, Pennsylvania, with Penn State and Cornell in that other bracket. This is something that's a little controversial. Some people hate doing these bracket, you know, bracketology. Uh, some people think it's a total waste of time to do it over the course of the year, especially this early. I personally find it entertaining, which is why I do it. You know, I, I, do we know very much? No, things can change. It is, you know, some people get upset and go, it's absurd to, you know, project the season as if it ends today. It doesn't end today, and I understand that. But we can have a little bit of fun, too, right? Uh, and it's also it's a way to track not necessarily the location because there's a lot of factors that go into where I think the NCAA is going to place teams. But looking at where a team is in the pairwise week to week and where they've fallen or where they have risen to and looking at the number of teams in the tournament in, in from each league, I think that is worthwhile to follow. It's part of following the season. I mean, the, the whole season is a continuous storyline. So anyone saying that this is a waste of time, I, again, we're not allowed to have fun with this stuff? I mean, come on, it's hockey. Let's have some fun. Let's see what it would look like. And and it sparks conversation, and and let's let's do it. I think there's something – I think it's worth doing or else I wouldn't do it. I'll put it that way. Um, so Merrimack, as I have them this week, would be in Allentown against Penn State. The reason for that is uh, because of the way that the, the seeding shake out. And this is another thing. We can kind of go through some of this stuff now so that if Merrimack is in this position at the end of the year – and, and I have a, proje- a projection of the bracket that Saturday before the selection show, I, you'll start to understand how the NCAA has traditionally seeded teams for the tournament. And, and I go through that process. It can change. It can especially change this year because the, the NCAA Transformation Committee has given new recommendations to the NCAA, and we don't know how the, the committees are going to implement them. But I can say that going back to about 2018, the NCAA has placed a premium 
on the the quote-unquote serpentine order of the bracket. And we can argue, we can debate whether or not that's that's the right thing to do. The fact is, is that's what the NCAA has done for going back again to about 2018. At one point, there was a very, very strong premium placed on attendance and travel. And they will make some concessions. They will move some things around to, to maximize attendance. But it hasn't been as much of a concern as much as the serpentine order has been over the last several years. And what do we mean by the serpentine order? Well, obviously in a 16-team bracket, one plays 16. The 8 versus 9 game would also go in that bracket so that one is paired up with 8. Two plays 15. Also aligned in that bracket would be the 7 versus 10 game. Again, so that 2 is lined up with 7 if the favorites were to win. Um, that's how that that's the quote unquote you know serpentine order of the bracket. Uh, I made some changes in the bracket this week in Merrimack's bracket in Allentown. I didn't make any changes. It's number three Penn State versus number fourteen Cornell, number six Ohio State versus number eleven Merrimack. But I did make some changes because Manchester New Hampshire is just like <laughs> they're getting nobody <laughs> uh, from an attendance standpoint. If you were to if you were to lay this out. If you were to lay this out uh, as is, as just the serpentine order, the Manchester bracket would be Denver against Michigan Tech and St. Cloud State against Michigan State. Not really a draw, right? At least for, for Eastern fans. So I think the committee would look at that and say, we have to get a, a Northeast team into the Manchester bracket, at least one of them, to try to make this work. And their options, the options that they have, at least this week, are Boston University as the number seven seed overall, Harvard as a number nine seed overall, Merrimack as the number eleven seed overall. In terms of one, two, three, four, Merrimack and Harvard would both be number three seeds, and Boston University would be a number two seed. I think that, and, and again, I'm basing this off of what the NCAA has done in in recent history. They would reward the higher seed. So, in this case. I moved Boston University, who was originally going to be in Bridgeport with with uh, Quinnipiac, moved them to Manchester as the number two seed in that regional to help boost attendance. Then what? Well, if we do that, we cannot also put Merrimack in Manchester because it would create a scenario where BU and Merrimack would match up in the first round. You'd have an intra-conference matchup in the first round, and I don't think the NCAA would do that. So there's an argument to be made that Quinnipiac and and Boston University would both stay together in in Bridgeport because they're going to need help with that regional as well. You can make the argument there, and then you move either Harvard or Merrimack to the Manchester regional, and I think it, it, it probably would be Harvard just because they're the higher of the two seeds there again. So no matter how you can't move them both there, they're both number three seeds. And I know, believe me, I know people are going to go, oh, Harvard doesn't travel, and Harvard doesn't have you know much attendance, and blah, 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 blah. I, I get that. Stop thinking that way. That's not how the NCAA thinks. They're going to go with the higher seed and move the team with the higher seed. So it's a situation where, yes, Merrimack, Merrimack would outdraw Harvard in Manchester. I am supremely confident of that. That's not going to play a role in the NCAA's thinking. They're going to reward the higher seed because at the end of the day, at least in recent history, the committee has shown that they want a, a reasonable explanation for why they're doing things. So if you're, if you're going to leave BU and Bridgeport and you're only going to move either Merrimack or Harvard to Manchester, 
How do you justify it to the team that you're not moving? Do you look at Harvard and say, well, your fan base doesn't usually travel. So even though we don't know how they would travel this time, we don't. They, they we know they usually don't. Therefore, we're not going to move you. We're going to move Merrimack instead, who hasn't been in the tournament in 10 years. But when they were there, uh, they, they did a really good job and, and drew a lot of people. Is Harvard going to accept that justification? I don't think so. Or is the committee going to say, hey, Merrimack, you know what? We're putting Harvard there. We're leaving you in Allentown because Harvard's the number nine overall seed and you're the number 11 overall seed. Right? It's a perfectly reasonable explanation. They move the higher seed. So whether it's BU moving to Manchester and therefore blocking Merrimack because you won't have two hockey teams playing each other in the first round, or if they pick that they're going to move one of the number three seeds, I think they would pick Harvard. I don't see an avenue for Merrimack to end up in Manchester this week. Again, this could all change a week from now. But this week, if this is what the order looks like, I see Merrimack kind of getting blocked out of being in Manchester. And then at that point, I think they're just going to keep their bracket together. They're going to keep them in Allentown against Ohio State. So that's where I see Merrimack as far as an NCAA picture goes this week. And it could change. Um but that's what, how I think things would shake out at the moment. Also, how about this? Hockey East a couple of weeks ago. Man. I think it was two weeks ago. Or no, right before Christmas. Hockey East had six teams in NCAA qualifying positions. Six! Like, that's crazy. They had six teams in qualifying positions for the NCAA tournament right before Christmas, less than a month ago. This week? Two. Two. Merrimack and BU. That's it. Providence, outside looking in. UMass, outside looking in. BC, outside looking in. Northeastern, outside looking in. UMass Lowell, ever since that Anchorage weekend. Oh, boy. Way on the outside looking in. Two. They went from six teams to two in less than a month. And again, that's why this stuff is worth following because it's a storyline. That's what we're supposed to be doing here. So the Big Ten... Uh, pretty much holding pat with five teams. They they, they added one a, couple, a few weeks ago. Uh, the NCHC has three this week. The EC, ECAC has three this week. Cornell has gotten themselves into a position. Harvard and Quinnipiac have always kind of been there, but Cornell has played its way into an NCAA tournament qualifying spot at the moment. They're number three, the third team for the ECAC. Hockey East with two, BU and Merrimack. CCHA up to two. It's another development because we talked last week about the cut line maybe being lower than it had been in recent years because I thought you know the, the Atlanta hockey champion is going to come up from outside the top sixteen and and maybe even the uh, even the CCHA champion coming from outside the top sixteen because it looked like it was going to be that way a couple of weeks ago but now Minnesota State and Michigan Tech both in the top sixteen Michigan Tech number thirteen Minnesota State has played its way back into a qualifying spot at number fifteen. So less likelihood of that happening right now, which could be good news because it could mean that the cut line stays lower, you know, back around the 14, 15 range rather than, you know, as high as as maybe 12 or or 13. So, again, more things to follow over the course of the year. But that is a lot of of numbers. It's a lot of math. I know you didn't sign up for this podcast. You're not subscribing for the math. But, um Let's get to uh, Merrimack head coach Scott Bork this week. We talked a lot about, obviously, Northeastern coming out of the Providence series, how he thought that video looked. Uh, an update on Christian Felton and Mike Brown. Uh, thoughts on how Liam Dennison looked coming back from injury last week and playing a big role in defense. Thoughts on how Matt Capone looked on Saturday night. 
Uh, and then a little bit on the schedule as well, because starting Saturday, Merrimack's got the home game at Lawler on Friday, and then starting Saturday night, that's a stretch of five straight games on the road. Not just five straight games on the road, but there's some there's some some more of their difficult travel involved in this five game stretch as well. Two games up at Vermont, a game at Maine on a Sunday afternoon. So their their regular kind of weekly structure of practicing Monday to Thursday and then hitting the ice for games on Friday night uh, without any bad travel in Hockey East, uh, that that routine, that structure is going to get thrown off a little bit here over the next couple of weeks with the way the schedule works out. And, and five games on the road is going to be you know quite the test as well. So let's get right to it uh, this week with Merrimack head coach Scott Borg. All right, we're here with Scott Borg, the head coach of the Merrimack men's hockey team, getting ready for a big weekend this weekend against Northeastern, home and home. It's going to start on Friday uh, down at Lawler Arena. Coach, uh, how's the week been? I mean, I always like to start with that. I mean, it's been we're here at the end of the week. How's practice looked, and, and how do you feel – uh, the team is at from a mentality standpoint going into what is like every weekend down the stretch going to be a pretty big weekend in hockey's play. Yeah, I, I, I feel like we have kind of um, righted the ship a little bit. You know, we came out of break, uh, I thought, very flat and largely probably because of the longer break that we took, but uh, I still think it was important to do that. Uh, but I felt we came out of that last weekend uh, two very competitive games. Obviously, the first score didn't feel that way, but it really was. And you know, we got banged around a little bit, but I thought it raised our level of intensity, which carried over to the practice this week. And I've been really happy with the team this week. And they're very focused, and they know it's going to be a huge challenge. But uh, we're playing a team that was picked first in the league, so that's going to always be a big challenge. Yeah, what what have you seen from them on video? That's that's a Northeastern team that it's like, you know, I look at what they have on paper, at least, and I look at their record, and I go, okay, something doesn't make sense here because they do seem like they have a, a really talented team. I know they're only a game above 500 right now, but they're they're doing really well in league play. They're right behind you in league points, uh, and the same thing. It kind of seems like they may have turned a corner a little bit the last couple of weeks with two wins over a, a pretty tough UConn team. So in kind of evaluating them this week on, on film, what do they look like? Well, as advertised, their skill level is elite. Um, you know, their top two lines are as good as in our league and Aiden McDonough. Um, I think he might lead the league in goals. Kerkoian, uh, who's one of the best playmakers in the league, also has some good finish. Uh, and they probably have the best freshman, maybe college hockey, Cam Lund. So that's their top line, and that's one of the best, uh, I'd say, in the country. And then um, – you know, they follow that up with some really good, talented players who are behind them. So I think up front, they're they're extremely skilled. They can play the game in the transition. They can play it in the zone. Um, you know, we're going to spend some time without the puck tomorrow. We know that. Uh, how we play without it is going to dictate how successful we are. You know, in the back end, they still have Jason Struble and, you know, a couple other guys from last year, Tyler Spott, who are real good players that can get up in the rush, make it, make life miserable for you and on the rush. Uh, they break the puck out well. So it will be, um, it's going to be a challenge. And, you know, you get through those two layers of talent, you get to, you know, arguably the best goalie in the country in, in Levi. So that's, um, that's a, a tall order whenever you look at it that way, which is why I try not to. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, you've talked about play without the puck too. Is that where you felt the, 
the biggest improvement was, at least from Friday to Saturday. Uh, because, you know, as we were saying before we hit record, scoring chances on Friday, five on five, uh, were were in your favor. You know, the Providence obviously had a lot of goals in the power play. I think they were four for six in the power play on Friday. Um, but play without the puck. I mean, obviously, when you shut out a team, you probably played pretty well without the puck, in your opinion, on Saturday. But it was that one of the biggest areas of improvement, just limiting their chances. Didn't seem like there was as many uh, scoring chances that Providence was able to generate inside the dots and in the house. And, and I you know, would honestly assume a lot of that has to do with your play away from the puck. Definitely. And that that's something that, you know, had up until that game, we had really come back in the second half and not played well in that area of our game. Um, but I thought we did a really good job on Saturday. Um, you know, there's only one guy who was on the puck, and, and oftentimes he'll have the least amount to do with a goal going in your net or going, you know, going in, the, or going in their net. It's really guys off his back, and, you know, are they in coverage? Are they structured? Are they know what each other's doing? Um, and if they do, then you're, you're in a pretty good place. And we really need to be elite at that to be successful against Northeastern, against anyone. You know, we have to, that has to be our calling card. I really felt we were strong in that area of our game uh, up until Christmas. Uh, it eluded us for a couple of weeks, but I think Providence pushed our pace enough that forced us to get back into that. And now, you know, we'll face another challenge in Northeastern the same way. Obviously, I know we talked about him over the weekend. I did a story on him coming out of the game on Saturday, but uh, especially with kind of the, the recent developments there on defense with a couple of guys going down, uh, Liam Dennison seemed like he was a huge addition there over the weekend. I thought he played great both nights, but particularly on Saturday when uh, even you, you had said after the game, probably pushed into more minutes than, than he was originally expecting, but when you lose a guy early in the game, it's just it kind of comes with the territory, and I know I talked to him after the game too, and he said you know he felt good coming out of it, felt good to be back, and uh, especially you know, considering those recent developments with Felton and, and Mike Brown potentially uh, getting hurt over the weekend, it, it feels like his return just couldn't have come at a better time. No, and, and that's very true. On top of that, you know, Denny brings us a, a mature, just a great approach to how he prepares, and, and uh, you know, he's a leader by nature. And so having him come back, and, you know, he's obviously a talented blue liner who skates really well, can break pucks out for us. But on top of that, uh, you know, getting his leadership onto the bench uh, is really, really positive for us. You know, the only senior we had was was Slava Demon, and Slava's a first-year player, and you know, uh, very quiet by nature. So, you know, he's he's a good leader, but he's a quiet leader, and he's because he's a new teammate. You know, he probably hasn't been as aggressive in that way as, as he would be if he'd been here for a couple of years. But with Denny, you know, Denny, you know, he knows what we're trying to accomplish. He knows the guys around him. Uh, he's watched our team play for three months. And so uh, he's a better player today, probably because he wasn't playing for three months because he watched so much hockey. Um, and I always have thought that if you could coach before you played, you'd be a better player. Um, and that's basically what he's done the last three months. So really excited to have him back in, in so many ways. But uh, his play, I think, in the first two games back was exceptional. Uh, what what does the health status look like of those two guys? Uh, Felton, I know, got hurt Friday, missed Saturday, uh, and then Brown went down early in Saturday's game. I mean, both those guys have played s- such big minutes for you, not only early this year, uh, but but over the course of their entire time here. Even Brown last year as a freshman. So, uh, what what are they looking at health wise? I mean, hopefully they're they're healing up this week. Well, you know, ironically, and I, the last time we talked, uh, I thought Christian Felton could be in a bad situation. Um, he is questionable even tomorrow. 
As it turns out, he went home to his home doctor who had worked on him in the past. Uh, and that doctor let him know that there was no new injury to him. Um, it was simply an old uh, situation that is going to present itself. Um, you know, he's, he's been able to skate. So if we can get him back, that'd be great. I, I think he's questionable probably. Um, Brownie is, you know, he's out, you know, for the foreseeable future. He um, has another step to do medically before he can even start his rehab. Um, so, you know, I think we'll have him back before the year is out, um, but we're not going to have him for a while. And, you know, the bad news is those are two of your best defensemen um, and guys that can really control your own end because their size and strength. Um, but at the same time, I thought Tyler Griebel played really well on Saturday. Um, and he got a lot of minutes because of our, you know, who was not in the game. Um, and that's a good thing for us. That, that's another step, getting another guy playing like that, that uh, moving forward is going to make our defensive choices much more difficult. And that means your team's playing well. Uh, another guy that I, I know I asked you about him on Saturday too, but uh, Matt Capone misses the game on Friday, comes back on Saturday. I thought had one of his better games of the year, to be honest with you. I'm curious, after looking at it on film, uh, what did you see from his game on Saturday? Because not, not only his play with the puck, but uh, some of the stuff he did and was able to do without the puck, whether it was on the forecheck or you know, kind of just, just being that guy in the middle of the ice that was causing some problems, uh, I thought Saturday, and at, at, at a live look, uh, maybe was one of his better games of the year. Was curious what you thought after probably getting a chance to see it on video this week. Yeah, no, I, I think Matty got back to his roots, um, and good Saturday. I mean, obviously uh, Tyler Griebel's first goal. Uh, you know, Matty's net front causing a, you know, a, a, you know, creating a screen which Tyler could have shot the puck. Obviously, didn't feel he could get it through the legs. Made a really poised play, went around it. Uh, but Matt was occupying at least one player net front that gave him that space. Uh, I thought his play without the puck in our structure was really good. Um, and I, I just think he got back to his roots. You know, he didn't overplay. Uh, and he, he doesn't need to overplay to be a really good college hockey player and hopefully be, play beyond that. He has all that within his game at this point. Um, just play his game and, and he'll get all the accolades and all the opportunities he wants. Um, and I thought that he got back to that on Saturday, and I was I was really impressed. A uh, real mature answer by him, not only to me, but to everyone around us, and, and that was exciting for our team and for him. Obviously, this is a big big weekend with Northeastern, but Saturday also starts a stretch of, of five straight road games, which you've had earlier in the year, too. I think it was right around Christmas, going into the, the Dartmouth tournament with the semester break in between, you were away from home for for five games as well, but does the mentality change at all? I mean, when you end up on a, on a road trip like this where it's a little broken up, but, you know, you get the one road game on Saturday and then off for a week, but it's not only five games in a row on the road. There's some travel involved as well, going up to Vermont uh, next week and going up, up to Maine on a Sunday. Uh, is there a different mentality when you end up on the road like this, just trying to, to pop, I mean, especially this late in the year? I mean, you're kind of in the, the stretch of hockey's play and, five straight games on the road. I mean, it's an opera, it's a bonding experience, I'm sure, if, especially if you come out of it playing well. Yeah, you know what? I hate it. I, I don't think it's right. Um, you know, look at Providence right now. You know, they played two games at our place. They played a game at Princeton, and now they're on a bus on their way to Maine to play two games there. And, yeah. you know, they're, they're kicking themselves a little bit. And, and I think we're in the same situation. You know, we're going to play five games in a row in the road. Um, 
none of them, you know, there's no easy place to play in hockey. You know, in January going into February, putting the teams through that, you know, I don't. I, I thought there was a rule that you couldn't do that three weekends in a row. Um, as a matter of fact, all that scheduling challenge we had last year was to alleviate a problem with someone else's schedule in our league, uh, which is what created those three games in a row against Vermont. Um, and I fought it back that change last year to our schedule, but I agreed with the premise of it. And then to have that in our schedule this year, it's it's um, it's challenging. And and you know, there's a lot on the line right now to be asking any team to go five games in a row on the road. Uh, and then maintain their success, you know. And so I, I, I'm not concerned about our team because our team is mature and we'll play through it and you know, we're going to find a way to make it positive. But I, I, I'm not, as a coach, uh, very happy being put in that position, no. Does it change the – I mean, we talked last week, I think it was, or, or maybe it was the week before, how it was your first kind of normal week for a while having like the 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 monday to to thursday of just practice and stuff like that video no weekday games no no odd times thrown in i mean you're gonna have some situations here where you know this weekend's a normal week with northeastern then next week there's travel up to vermont so you're leaving a little bit early you're probably there on thursday practicing in the morning on friday then the weekend after that it's a weird kind of friday sunday weekend uh with some travel in between is there something to be said as far as throwing off that routine, or do, or do you think these guys, especially you know, being college athletes, are young enough that the, does the routine matter more or does it matter less, I guess is my question. I, I think the routine matters more, but I will say that the amount of travel we did in the first half, particularly those last three you know, road games, because two of them we had to go overnight the night before, um, I thought that, you know, that, I think our team's in a good place with that. You know, uh, as long as we can practice Monday through Thursday um, and then wherever Friday puts us, it puts us. Um, but, you know, there's, there's challenges to being on the road, and there's also some real positives. You know, uh, if you're playing someone on the road on Friday, you're getting up and having a, a day as a team and, you know, potentially including a skate, depending on whether you make it optional or the full team. And, um, and that's a positive where the other team's going to school that day and they – they can't do it as readily as you can, and so this gives gives and takes with it. But I, I'm again, I, I'm not excited for it as a coach, but I'm not worried about it as a coach of this team. I think um, you know we'll just take one as, one at a time as they come and hopefully come out in the positive side of it more often than not. But um, you know that part of the challenge, I think our team's up to. And then after that, so you'll be into a bye week. So uh, two or three weeks from now after that stretch, uh, five in the row and, and then on the road and then a bye week. So maybe a good time to get a break in there. I, I mean, I know some teams don't like having the, the bye week. It probably depends on where you're at health-wise too. But uh, after five straight on the road, it might be nice to have a week off to kind of settle back in a little bit. <laughs> no, I, I think so for sure. And, and uh, without getting too deep in the weeds, we've talked a lot about the emotions of this season and the challenges of it and, you know, one of the reasons I think we came out to a slower start in the second half than we wanted or we expected or people around us did is, you know, there's not a lot of noise around us very often. And there was a lot of noise around us um, from the beginning of the year when we lost Josh and uh, dealing with that. And then having some success and there's some noise around you then, it's probably doubled because more people are paying attention because of our early season tragedy. And, you know, it's just um, you, you got to ignore that hard to do and so I, I think the week off will be perfect give our guys a chance a couple of days to get away from the rink uh, and just be college students and come back for the stretch drive and hopefully we're in a stretch drive we're fighting for something special and 
put ourselves in that position over the next five games, six games, actually. All right, Coach. Well, hey, thanks for the time today, and best of luck this weekend. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right, I want to thank Merrimack Head Coach Scott Borg for taking the time to join us today. I want to thank you for checking out the podcast, downloading the show. Maybe we'll see you this weekend down at Lawler Arena, Merrimack and Northeastern on Friday. Like I said, though, hope you already have your tickets. They might be a little hard to come by. Until next week, I'm Mike McMahon. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.